You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this afternoon is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 17, through chapter 4, verse 9. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord. Dear friends, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident in all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. The text for the sermon is Philippians 4, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my sight in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, before my family moved to Canada, we visited some of the historical sites of the old country. One of the sites we visited was a town in the south, in the province of Zeeland, a town called now everybody in North America knows the story 
of Hans Jebrinker. But not many people know the true history of Colainsplaat. The town, it was a small city, lay safely behind the dikes, that is, until that winter night of February the 2nd, 1953, when hurricane storms and extreme high water threatened the city. Well, when the men of the town discovered that the water kept rising and rising, they decided to do their best to protect their houses, their families, their businesses, their cattle, by closing the gate in the dike. Well, you should know, Colainsplaat, as it is, is a fisherman's town behind the dike, of course, but as it happens, the harbor was outside the dike. Well, so much for the harbor, but between the harbor and the town, there was a lowering in the dike for easier traffic from and to the harbor. But that was, of course, the weak spot, the lowest point. But what they did was they had a construction. They could put beans in the gate, and that's what they did. They added one beam to hold the water, but the water kept rising, so they added another. And another. And another. But that night, the water kept rising. And the powers of the wave, the force of the waves was so strong that you could see that the beans were about to give in. And the water would stream into the town, into the land. At that point, all the men of the town, the doctor, the grocer, Yes, the minister, the carpenter. They stood with their backs against the wall, like this, arm in arm. And at every new attack of the waves, they yelled, Stand firm, men! And they stood firm. And that's, that's, this is real history. This is the beginning of the history of the miracle of Colleen's plant. Now, of course, how does this story relate? To your life, or how does it relate to us as a church? I do think there are parallels between fighting the threatening waters and the fight we have to fight as Christians. There is, there are parallels with the history of God and His world. Look, we know that the Lord decided to create a world in the beginning as a safe haven for us that we would live loved by him and loving him. But this safe place was destroyed by the floods of evil. And we did not really try to fight it, did we? On the contrary. In our father, Adam, we opened the floodgates to sin and pain and death so they could enter our world. But the Lord did not want these waters to cover the world forever. So he sent his son to save this world. Wherever people believe in Christ, wherever Christ is, there is a livable place again, dry land. But this safe haven that a church is called to be is a world, a place under threat. 
And therefore, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of the Lord, tells the Church of the Lord to stand firm as well, so that the believers in Philippi may rejoice, rejoice in the miracle of Philippi. And that we, people of the Lord in Langley, may rejoice, rejoice in the miracle of Langley. The theme of the sermon this afternoon is stand firm, because if we don't stand firm, believe me, the dikes will break again. Now we, on our own, we will not manage to stand firm. So the first point of the sermon is strong together. And the second point of the sermon will be full of confidence. And then the third point will be a fairy tale with a question mark. Stand firm. One, strong together. Two, full of confidence. Three, a fairy tale. Strong together. Well, can you still speak of togetherness in the world today? Anthropologists who analyze cultures, they analyze the Western world here in North America, and they come to the conclusion that our world does not have much togetherness anymore. It is an individualized world. Well, for example, you see that when people today consider human rights to be, first of all, well, my private human rights. You can see it in the way we build our houses in the Western world. They're all private domains. You even see it in the way we use internet. Internet, indeed, at first sight, a very open, a very connected medium. But it is a connection of individuals. We are all like atoms on our own place. So if the waters of individualism have covered the earth, it should not surprise us if it leaked through in the church as well. Strong together. Um, should we not say, first of all, that that whole individualism is completely in contradiction with what the Lord wants us to be? Doesn't the New Testament alone use the words each other for over 150 times? Well, it would not be hard for us to criticize that modern individualism and, and, and to address critically its consequences in the church. But... We should recognize a problem here, or a point. Uh, The problem is that we, and with we I mean the churches of the Reformation, um, individualism is our invention. Okay, almost. Because it was there already, in the late medieval Renaissance, in those days that artists and scientists in the south of Europe rediscovered antique values of the human self, a high level of self-consciousness. Reformers like Luther and Calvin were influenced by this movement, and that they too stressed the individual responsibility of man before God. It's not a church, a community that saves you. It is Jesus Christ, and you are responsible personally to believe in him. So before we start fighting the demons of individualism, we should be aware that at the very heart of the Reformation, there is this idea of our individual conscience and responsibility before God. We shouldn't forget that, and we should not return to the old idea that 
the church, the community, is a decisive go-between between the Lord and I. Let us acknowledge there is the reality of our individuality, and there is the positive side of it in personal responsibility. But once we've acknowledged that, we can have an open eye for the disadvantages too. Now, to start with, this individual responsibility makes the churches of the Reformation prone to never-ending schisms and secessions. Sometimes they are necessary. I know that. We all know our church history well enough to see where liberalism became so overwhelming in the church and persecution of true believers within the church so unbearable that there was only one thing left to do, depart. At the same time, often a lot of human single-mindedness is involved in church history. A lot of individual human single-mindedness. So there is a disadvantage of individualism. And then a more universal disadvantage of negative of individualism is how lonely you are if it's only you. If today people all the time have to figure out who you are and what you really think and what you want. If all the time you must have second thoughts to prevent yourself from doing what someone else already did, how lonesome you are in the end. If you define your life, you end up empty-handed because you cannot build yourself on yourself. Strong together. Listen, the company the church has to offer is more than just another answer to the felt need of human loneliness. If that was all the church had to offer, offer, it would be a human answer. And it can happen within the church. If you're afraid to stand alone, you can find comfort in belonging to the herd. And and of course, look, the church is a network, and you're welcome. Welcome to share, welcome to feel strong together. But we should remember that we are fishermen too. And our network is only good as long as it connects us to Jesus Christ. And all our interconnections on human level really should depend on our bond with him. And so that's the way in which we should be strong together. Let me explain how this has to do with the text we read this afternoon. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. To be honest, Bible explainers have no idea who these ladies are. Without any doubt, they were sisters in faith. Without any doubt, they had some kind of task within the church of Philippi. But we do not know what their argument was about, or if it was an argument at all. One thing is sure, they had a disagreement about something about the church. Otherwise, Paul would not have mentioned their disagreement. Now, this openness about their situation gives me an opportunity to apply it to our lives as believers now. Because whatever it was that lay behind them, the only thing they have to do is to carry on together. 
because. And that's Paul's message. You're only strong together. Now, we are sure that such an advice in the Bible is not just a shallow answer to just another human need. Such an advice in the Bible makes clear this is what we need to survive. Strong together. That actually is the miracle of the church. Comparable to that miracle of Colleen's plant. May I ask your attention for an interesting detail in this perspective. This notion of strong together in order to survive is not only there in the mentioning of the two sisters who have to be strong together. It is also there in verse 3, but in a more hidden way. Chapter 4, verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women. Yoke fellow. I actually am pretty sure that this was originally a, a proper name. In, in Greek, it can easily be a proper name, a man's name, Zizikas. But then it is indeed uh, intended by Paul as a play of words. Loyal Zizikas, that's your name. Well, if that's your name, then be a yoke fellow, a companion, and help these ladies find each other, yoke fellow, strong together. That's why. Now, it's easy for me to state that it is important to be together in order to be strong, and you would probably agree with me in that regard. But I want to take to try to take it to a higher level in the second point of the sermon. The theme of the sermon is stand firm. And the second point is full of confidence. Because you can only be strong together if you're able to trust each other. And, and you probably know that from your own experience. For example, if you try to support a brother or sister and you find that your help is not welcome. Why? Because there is no confidence before. Or, or sometimes, if you can do with a little help, and, and nobody seems to notice. Why? Because there is not this mutual trust. Second point of the sermon is about exactly that point. Full of confidence. There is no question if there is mutual Trust between Paul and the brothers and sisters in Philippi and also between the brothers and sisters in Philippi among each other. First, between Paul and that congregation there. Well, you can feel that. You, 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 it, it, if you read through Paul's letter to the Philippians, um, in our text for the sermon, chapter 4, verse 1, my brothers and sisters, you, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown. They have all the love of the apostle. It's his desire to share with them. They make him happy. They are his pride. And then there is also mutual trust between the brothers and sisters in the congregation of the Philippians among each other. That's the only conclusion we can draw from the fact that Paul can express himself in the rather bold and personal way he does in this letter. He can only do so on the basis of mature and trustful relationships within that congregation. Let me explain that. Imagine 
a minister would find it necessary to address one of you, uh, to admonish one of you, and he would do so in public from the pulpit, mentioning first name and family name, that's not something that is likely to make you happy if, if it was about you. And since we are all sinners, we can all relate to that feeling. Imagine your sins being addressed in public. I guess we don't want everybody to know about our private sins. And I guess we are not always able to carry that burden of knowing about each other's private sins. What would our reaction be? Would we be judging right away? Maybe we would, and maybe we would be too quick to judge. But the message of Paul's relationship with the Philippians is, you have to have this mutual trust first. And if that is there, then you can speak quite openly. Look at the words of Paul. First, I love you. I long for you. You are my joy. And I admonish you. Now, of course, the color of Paul's admonishing is that of a, a plea. It's the same with children, right? If you want to correct them, you do not always need a stick. And between the members of the church, it might well be just the same. There's a whole scale of encouragement and then stimulating questions and pleas and critical questions, confrontations, admonishing, forbidding. Paul, in addressing the two sisters who have a problem, downscales his approach to, to pleas and stimulation. He admonishes them to work together in, sorry, in that church project. And he admonishes them that they should accept the help of others as well. And that they should help him. And in order that this project does not end in crisis, Paul directs Euodia and Syntyche towards mutual confidence. Agree with each other in the Lord. Then you will stand firm. Agree with each other in the Lord. Mutual confidence. That applies directly to us today, of course. Building upon the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ, we build this confidence, this trust in each other. I ask you to trust me, well, to trust the church, to trust Jesus Christ. That he will not let you down. He will make you stand firm. Be full of confidence on that basis. And then when it comes to dealing with each other in the church, invest in mutual confidence. That we too can start with saying to each other, you are beloved, you are desired, you are my joy and my pride. And on that basis, we can plead. And admonish. On that basis, the youth can teach older people in the church about zeal for the Lord. And older people can teach younger ones about perseverance. Then the women in the church can show the others what care is. And men can teach the others what it is to fight for the Lord. If we are full of confidence, first in Christ, and then on that basis, building trust in each other. 
then we will be able to stand firm. Stand firm. Strong together. Full of confidence. Or is this a little bit too much like a fairy tale? Life is not a fairy tale. Church life is not a fairy tale. After Eden, the Lord did not promise us a rose garden, thorns and thistles because of our sin, because of the activity of God's enemy. There are no fairy tales in the Bible. And in my preaching, I cannot pretend that life, even church life, is a more happy world than it actually is. wouldn't help you. If I were only telling tales and only mentioned your name as a player in a role of some fairy tale. No. But do you know where your name should be mentioned? Your name should be listed in the ranks of Clement, of Euodia and Syntyche, of Sisychus, the yoke fellow. That is, your name should be listed in the ranks of the names mentioned in the book of life. Paul mentions that book in our text, and we find it more often in the Bible. It's the book of God's holy bookkeeping. If your name is in there, then you will live. If your name is in there. I don't want to frighten you. Or maybe I do. Anyone, the only one to lay eyes on that book is the Lord himself. That is his department. Your responsibility is to believe in Christ and to live for him. Leave the book to the Lord. The point is, if you do not believe in him and live for him, you hurt him. Now maybe that is something that we cannot immediately relate to. But what you might know is how it works in human relationships. If you are open and welcoming, and somebody else just turns you down, then that hurts. Now don't get me wrong, of course all kinds of human feelings do not immediately apply to our Lord Jesus Christ. But there are things comparable to such a human situation. He did open his heart to us. He did make himself vulnerable, becoming a human being like us in Bethlehem. And he offers us his love, tells his congregation that he longs for them, that they add to his joy, that they are the crown on his word. If you then say no to him, or I don't know yet, do we realize what we are doing, how we hurt him deep inside? As a matter of fact, I don't mind to frighten you, to warn you for just doing that. Listen, this is what we have understood from the gospel of the Lord. He came to this world to stand firm for us. He came to us with this message. Together we are strong. And he asks you to be full of confidence in him. 
to live your life for him. Will you then live happily ever after? Not yet. The life of a Christian is a life full of threats, full of risks. It does take courage to be a Christian, to confess your faith, whether you're young or old, man or woman. Have the courage to say to Christ or to say to him again, I trust in you. Only together with you, I can be strong. And he will make you stand firm. One more thing I have to say before I finish. I owe you the end of the history of the miracle of the town 57 years ago. Miracle of Colain's plot. Well, that story was not a fairy tale. It was real life. So it didn't have a happy ending. The men were just not strong enough together. They couldn't stand for The weakest links in that human chain gave in against the rage of the waves. They just snapped. And the beams in the gate, in the dike, started to give in as well. And the town and all that lived in it would surely have drowned had it not been for that one ship broken adrift from its moorings in the harbor due to the heavy winds, running ashore right where the gate was, where the men of the city failed. When they gave in, the Lord provided That is the story, the history of the miracle of that town, Colleen's Blood. A fairy tale, no, 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 true history. Shall we stand firm only in the full confidence that he will hold us? And then we are strong together through his hand. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.